Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Subscribe to the Hit That Line Podcast Network, brought to you by Breeden RV Center. Breeden RV Center, family owned and operated, a no pressure, laid back atmosphere, and always home of the free maintenance for life. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe and Hit That Line Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorback, Chuck Barrett. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, Highly Questionable. Also a two-time Dan Levitard Show Suey winner and the <laughs> former heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback Baseball and the Ladybacks. Razorback Nation, welcome in to episode 198 of the one and only Hog Talk podcast live from the Heinemann Services Studios. I'm your host, Kyle Sutherland, alongside Kevin Bohannon and Porter Hayes. We thank you for once again beginning your week with us, whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Please be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. That way uh, helps us get our name out there and reach more people. Also, if you will leave a written review and a five-star rating, that would help us out a ton. The show is brought to you, as always, by Bet Online. They've got you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. Plus, it's the best way to sign up and free, even better than that. So head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. It's great to be back with all of you. I think this might be the longest hiatus we've ever been on between vacations, various traveling, and just sporadic postseason schedules with sports. We've had a few setbacks, but we're excited to be back behind the mic. And Cabo, I know that uh, during this time, you've done a lot of traveling with your Arkansas Prospects team. They've done pretty well, and uh, I can imagine you guys are excited to play a lot more baseball this summer. Yeah, went down to Atlanta this weekend, played against some of the best teams in the nation, gave up eight runs in four games, on, on, only won one of those games, but it was the experience that those kids got to in front of scouts, college coaches, you know, we saw some really good arms, really good teams. And it's just a really exciting time for these young men because they didn't really get to do that last year. So yeah, it's a good time to be out there. I know being gone after for a week, I uh, didn't want to come back and have a somber attitude, but uh, this should really be about celebration for the type of season that the Razorbacks had. I know we're going to talk about it, but it's, we weren't expected to be where we were, but we owned where we were at. So uh, baseball is a, uh, a really, really dirty mistress at the end of the day. It can happen like that, but um, I'm really excited. We get to look forward to the future now. Yeah, I was at the beach last week, and we won that Friday night game, of course, against Nebraska, and then lost to them, or I guess that what was it, Saturday night that uh, we played Nebraska and then lost to him Sunday, played him again Monday, and then we all know what happened there. We were just on the highest of highs. I put on my Facebook page about how I, I saw a guy when I was in Panama City. I went to Walmart right afterwards, and we uh, I, I saw a guy with a Razorback shirt on. He was with his family. We did a big whoopig to each other, chest bumped, and I high-fived his entire family. I mean, we were just hyped, just like the entire fan base was. And how quickly the tide turns. You know, we come into this super regional against a red hot NC State team. And it looked like in game one that we were going to have full control. You win that game 21 to two. And 
we knew NC State was not going to let up on the bats, Kevin. You know, they came in with with 30 runs scored in their three games in the regional that they played in the 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 Ruston regional. And we knew they had some good pitching as well, but we just couldn't overcome despite a great seventh inning. They had an incredible fourth inning against Ryan Costu on Saturday, and we could not overcome it despite a big inning that we had in the seventh. And then, of course, we all got to give our props to, to what Kevin Copps has not done just in this game on Sunday night, but what he has done all season. Just phenomenal. One of the greatest seasons that we have ever seen of any college baseball player. I don't, I don't know if they're going to go as far as the whole statue thing like a lot of fans are calling for, but we're going to celebrate yeah. that first. You know, It was very polarizing for the fan base, for Dave Van Horn to go with him to start the game. So many thought that he maybe should have gone with Wiggins for a couple of innings, maybe two to three, sort of like what happened on the Monday night game against Nebraska. But Cops came out and threw over 100 pitches. I think it was around 116, 117 range. I can't 118. Remember. 118. Yeah. I, knew, 118 I knew it was around that range. And, of course, he gave up the, the leadoff home run and got pulled in, in, in a way of Wicklander to come in, which we were really shocked to see him after 99 pitches Friday night. But just a phenomenal season. There's really just no word to describe it. Just a, a completely dominant season overall for Kevin Copps. Yeah, and I, and I put on Twitter a while ago that the, this is kind of personal for me because I've been around some of these kids you know, for a long time and got to be around them when they were struggling as youngsters, teenagers. I know they're still young, but so th- this is a little personal for me. And, and I know everybody out there that's an armchair quarterback coach, whatever you want to call it, is going to second guess decisions that were made yesterday when Van Horn pulled Lockhart, put Costu in, didn't pull Costu quick enough, should have put cops in. But at the end of the day, it, it turned out the way it did. We, we were 50 and 13 on the year. Kevin Copps is going to win every major award, Golden Spikes, NCBWA Player of the Year, Collegiate Baseball Newspaper Player of the Year, Dick Hauser Award, First Team All-American. He's going to win all of those. We, we've got guys, we're going to lose a lot of players off this team that are going to be drafted in a month. And we're going to replace those guys with people, with, with guys that can play really good baseball and put us right back in the situation to get back to Omaha. So at the end of the day, everybody is disappointed. But think of we were picked third in the West, anywhere from eighth to 22nd in a preseason poll. So we we exceeded expectations where that is, and everybody thought if we didn't get to Omaha and win national title, it would be a disappointing season. It's a disappointment into the season, but by no means is it a disappointing season. Caden Wallace tied the – home run record for a freshman hitting his 14th today. I know that might have been a personal goal of his. You know, he's not really big on personal goals, but he has has benchmarks that he wants to get, I'm sure. And then Patrick Wicklander established himself as an ace after not even starting the season in the rotation, not even pitching the first weekend. And he established himself as the ace of the number one team in the nation. So a lot of good things to look to. Uh, NC State, you tip your cap to them. They're a really good lineup, you know, and they, they got a couple of good arms with Johnston and Highfield. I was really impressed by Sam Highfield yesterday. And then the two lefties they got coming out of the pen, son, you got from that slot coming 95 to 97 on Evan Justice. Good luck, you know. I, and the kid they threw before him today was, was good as well. Caden got an inside pitch, set on the fastball and drove it out. But Evan Justice closed it down. They're the one of the top fielding teams in the nation. They gave us a couple of gifts 
So um, tip your hat to them. They beat us. They gave up 21 runs on Friday and came back and won two games against the number one team in the nation that hadn't been beat in a series all year. So tip your hat to them. Let's move on. Um, we got a lot, lot to look forward to. Yeah, it, it, it stings. You know, you nailed it. You, you Everything you said I was going to say, it, you didn't want it to be this way. And, of course, the initial reaction all throughout the game or when they lose, it's we should have done this, should have done that, and why did he do this? We, we just witnessed a team that won the SEC outright, won the SEC tournament, and got to the Super Regional. I mean, we got to embrace that. And, and so much is being wasted on this negative energy that we just witnessed one of the greatest pitchers in college baseball this year in Kevin Copps and what he meant to this team. I mean, you've seen the embrace that he gave everything he had on that build today. That's what makes him the special person he is. And when he gave up that home run and he went in the dugout and he just embraced the coach and was in tears. I mean, yes, it, it's a disappointing season, not a disappointing season. It's a disappointing end of the season because you wanted them to win. You wanted them to get to Omaha for, you know, Dave Van Horn. You had a feeling that this could be a special year for him to finally get that win, and it just didn't happen. You know, but, but that's the game of baseball. You know, Arkansas scored 21 runs in the first game and scored seven the next two games. So it's just the way it is. But as you said, Cabo, you know, NC State, for them to come back and get beat that bad and then to win two in a row, no other team can say they've done that. And especially in Baumwalker Stadium, uh, you got to do nothing but tip your hat to them, be, be the better man about it and not be salty and not try to troll. Well, you're going to be the first team out in Omaha. Hey, but they played a hell of a series. Well, and I want to say, too, to all the people talking about the 118 pitches was too much. And, and typically, in some cases, that might be. But one thing about – and I'm not an expert on Tommy John surgery. Cabo, you might be able to put a little bit more insight into this. But I know once you do have Tommy John, you can monitor your arm a lot more. You know exactly pretty much how much you can take. We knew that Kevin Copps is going to have to be drug off the mound. There was no question about that. Now, his fatigue clearly set in once he gave up that second home run. There was just no other option but to do that because he had just given all that he had. Like you said, Porter and Kevin both – and we've all mentioned it all throughout the season and even on this podcast right now, just the dominant performance that he had all season. And I wouldn't really call this game dominant, but he did all that he could do. And Kevin, like you said, and like we've been repeating all night in our group text, it's not the two that beat you. It's the, or it's not the three that beat you. It's the two. We couldn't just get the bats going for whatever reason. Our one through four guys, they really, really struggled in this series for the most part, other than Wallace in this particular game, obviously got out of that slump hitting that home run to tie the game at two. But Kevin knew how much his arm could take. Dave and, and Matt Hobbs, they know what they're doing. I know there's a lot of Matt Hobbs naysayers out there. You know, I, I think I'm going to go with baseball scouts and other coaches around the country as opposed to somebody on Twitter that has their their evaluations of Hobbs. But they knew exactly how much, how far that he could go, or at least cops knew where he could go on it. And so I just want to go ahead and nip that in the bud really quick that once you have the once you have the Tommy John surgery, you know how far you can go. No doubt, and he is listening to his body more than anything else. And he t- he told everybody, "Look, I know how my body feels. My body may be fatigued, but he's not putting a lot of strain on his elbow anymore because he knew once he came back from TJ that he had to become a different pitcher, and he did. 
you don't put the the snapping motion on the on the elbow like you usually do. So that with a curveball or slider or anything like that. So there, there's not much issue right there. Yeah, it, we we've had a lot of pitchers, and if you look in game one, the Vanderbilt East Carolina series, both of those pitchers went over 100. Rocker did, Gavin Williams did for uh, East Carolina. So yeah, it, it's not out of the realm for somebody to do that. Pitchers used to go 150 pitches. You know, Nolan Ryan used to throw regularly 130, 150 pitches. I know it's changed. I know baseball is different the way it is right now. But, yeah, say what you will. But, yeah, he knew his body. He knew how long he had to go. And I guarantee you, every time he came in, how are you feeling? Where are you at? That's the conversations that you have in a dugout when you're a coach and you have your guy out there that's pushing the limits of where he can go. So, yeah, they they didn't push him further than he wanted to. Like you said, he was going to be drug off that mound. Van Horn probably told him, look, this is yours. If you get in trouble, we'll come get you. We're, we're going to do all – we're going to get this thing done behind you. It didn't happen uh, like we wanted it to, but, you know, tip your cap to him. Like I said, Kevin Cox had one of the best years ever in collegiate baseball history. He's going to win the Golden Spikes. Darren Dreifert was the last relief pitcher to do that 20-something years ago. I think we might have lost Porter here. I know he was breaking out just a second. Yeah, we did. We'll try to yeah. try to get him back in, but for the time being, we'll roll with it. So I want to go back to the one to four hitters, Kevin. And, and you look at Caden Wallace, and he, we talked about his slump in our group text earlier on Sunday, and then and then got out of it there with that home run, and then went two for four in the game, also with an RBI. Slavens that was expected has that gruesome ankle injury in the in the SEC tournament against Georgia, and then ends up coming back for the supers and, and, and does fairly well went over for Sunday, but did some things for you got out of the slump. Christian Franklin had also had a sickness. So you, you go through that and you kind of look at those guys and, and you've got not necessarily an excuse, but you can look at some reasons why they might have been in it. But I don't really know what had happened with Matt Goodhart. Obviously Dave Van Horn continued to trust him, putting him in that leadoff spot, but he just seems to not really see the ball very well. I don't really know if it was because of the pitchers we were facing or if things just weren't really clicking for him. What do you think that that was that was going on with him? Yeah, we, we've known in the past that he had some eyesight issues. I don't think he was picking it up well. Uh, the shading had a little issue to do with today. You got shade over the front part of the plate and the pitchers coming out of the, the sunlight right there. So you miss it a little bit. And when your eyesight's a little off, that makes a big difference. Elite hitters have elite eyesight. And Matt Goodhart had been a 330, 340 hitter up until this year. I liked him better in the five or six hole. And we, but we didn't have a true leadoff guy on this team. We started out with Robert Moore there early this season, tried Braden Webb, Zach Gregory. We went through a whole list of them. And we just didn't have it. Honestly, Caden Wallace would have been okay up there until he hit his four for 28 slump. But I think Goodhart, he just wasn't seeing the ball. And that's unfortunate because he has a really good swing. He's going to play pro ball and he just didn't have it right now. Um, And to talk on Caden for a minute um, and everybody that listens to this show knows that I coached Caden for a long time uh, through high school uh, back when, before he even started high school and he was even offered by the Razorbacks. And I talked to him last night, and I said, hey, but I know you're in a slump. Just remember, go out there, have fun. Uh, know that you've always got people cheering for you. And Because Caden, he's his, he's his worst critic, and that's 
the way all the good ones are. He's going to be hard on himself, but he, he responded in the best way that a 19-year-old could. And sometimes we forget that these young men are still 19, 20, 21 years old playing a game in front of a million people, whether it be in person or on TV. He said, look, I'm, I'm, I know I'm in a slump. We've all been through a slump this year. But I'm seeing the ball well. There's just not many results for it right now. I'm going to keep competing and having fun and doing what I know how I know how to do. And you don't expect that because it could just as easily, he could have ended the season on a down note and it could have affected him for a long time. He didn't do that. He came in, competed today, got a hit, um, got kind of broke out of that a little bit, got a good hit to left field, and then came up and tied the game. So who knows? And that, that could set him up for a summer and the Cape that's going to be really big. He's going to be draft eligible next year if the draft is at the same time. But you can't say enough about him. He had 14 home runs, which ties Heston Kerstad's number. So um, really looking forward to him next year. You got him, Robert Moore, coming back, who hit 16 home runs. The, the, the team that led the nation in home runs was led by a five foot nine, 170-pound second baseman. How many times can you say that outside of the gorilla ball era? <laughs> so there's just a lot of good things to look forward to on this team, and we got a lot of good players coming in. It's going to be a really exciting team next year. Well, and and talking about replacing some of these guys, you, you're going to lose good Goodhart. You're going to lose Cops. You're going to lose Christian Franklin. But the biggest one that's probably going to be hard to replace, other than Kevin Cops, is certainly Casey Opitz. Now we've we 100 thought that we were going to lose him last year, but with the shortened draft, that obviously helped us in terms of the Razorbacks and ended up coming back just basically due to uh, not being able to agree on a deal with a t- on a free agent deal with the team. But Charlie Welch is more than likely going to be the successor to him. And we saw what he did at the plate. He was a big reason why we got to where we did. Obviously, the Nebraska game without doing what he – and I know that the wild pitch uh, was also a big factor in take going up 3-2. to two, But without that grand slam – or the uh, three-run bomb – you know, you don't have that insurance right there. And he did so many other great things, too, with eight home runs and, and limited roles. And what kind of player do you foresee him being? I know that he didn't get a whole lot of work done at, at behind the plate this year, but what kind of player do you see him being and being that possible guy or almost the guaranteed guy in the way-too-early predictions to take over for Casey Opitz? Yeah, and, and you got Dylan Leach also who filled in. He was the number two this year. I think, I think Charlie carves out a role – maybe at first base uh, or D8, you know, stays in the designated hitter role. Um, we didn't get to see enough of him behind the plate this year or in fall ball to really figure out if he could be that guy. Now, I know they're really big on Leach who graduated early. He was supposed to be a 2021 grad, came in early, learned under Opitz, which was the best thing he could have done. He got to play some really meaningful innings down the stretch. Um, so, I think you'll see a really good platoon between those guys. And Leach is going to be a year older. He's a switch hitter also. But down the stretch, Van Horn wanted him just to hit from the right side, I believe, because he had more pop from over there. So uh, you love seeing stories like Charlie Welch. He ended up hitting a little under 400 on the year, eight home runs. He, he was hitting, you know, one every eight at bats. He was hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Those are, you know, Barry Bond, Babe Ruth, numbers on their seasons that where they hit 60 plus home runs that it's just amazing to see somebody that got called upon who had to sit an entire game up until the super regional of course where he started but who would sit a whole game come in and do what he did you don't see that 
he was, you know, coming into this game, I believe he was seven for 10, uh, had hit home runs in three straight games, you know, dating back to the, the regional final with Nebraska. So you're going to have more pop in the lineup next year and talk about replacing those guys. You're going to shade, uh, you'll slide more over to third, uh, shortstop um, or keep him at second. They may have a Juco guy coming in at short. Uh, I believe you'll see a transfer come in over at first. Um, who knows? It may be somebody's brother that's already on campus. Uh, we'll throw that out there. Uh, Wallace, I believe will, he could play third or they could slide him over to center field. They got Landry Wilkerson coming in from Crowder Community College, who was first team All-American on the JUCO ranks this year. Crowder finished third. And then uh, you'll have you'll have Gregory back. I don't know if he plays in the role, but Ethan Bates is back. He got some at-bats this year as a freshman. I think he takes a giant leap forward. So you're going to have a good nucleus of guys to build around. They're going to be young, of course, and you never know with the transfer portal right now. I think the last count was like, you know, over 400 players that are in there. They're losing Kaysen Tollett, Blake Adams, uh, Jacob Burton, no, and Nate Wolgamuth. Those are the four that started the spring with them that are no longer there. And then, of course, they'll have their exit interviews over the next week or two, and they'll hit the road recruiting because, you know, to maintain that elite status and be a top five, top ten team every year, you have to get out there and recruit. And I guarantee you Coach Thompson will be on the road uh, – hitting it pretty hard over these next two weeks yeah and i i gotta give some an apology to, to leach i guess i just completely discounted him thinking charlie would be there behind the plate next year but, but yeah definitely they would think that he he's probably going to get a first base spot because leach has gotten more work but again it, it's way too early right now to say that but <laughs> but there's there's definitely going to be plenty to talk about there but i want to take a quick break in the action and uh, tell you guys about moink meats our newest sponsor founded by an eighth generation farmer more moink was featured on Shark Tank, and Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary said that it was the best bacon he has ever tasted. So try today for the best steak, chicken, salmon, and more straight from the family farms caught by independent Alaskan fishermen. We love Moink Meats, and you will too. Join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash believe right now, and listeners get free bacon for a year. Yes, you heard that right. Free bacon for a year with every box ordered. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time. That's M-O-I-N-K box.com slash believe B-L-E-A-V. And so, Kevin, I want to get into something hypothetical here because it wouldn't be fun if we just – now, we're not going to sit here and and trash anybody or anything. I think it's okay for constructive criticism, but I don't want it to just be talking about, you know, what a great season it was because it was. But the elephant in the room was – that, how was the pitching going to hold up for the entire season? We were worried about whether we were going to wear cops out. It doesn't seem like we weared him out, wore him out. He was definitely tired after 118 pitches, as anybody would be. But I, I want to go back to that 2018 team. You had a bunch of guys that were hitting home runs just like this year. But you look at the pitching then, and it was quite a bit deeper. You've had Blaine Knight, who had a 14-0 season. Casey Murphy as your Saturday guy, who was very reliable. And then you had a up-and-coming Isaiah Campbell that struggled some, but was definitely a quality Sunday starter. But behind them, you also had a Matt Cronin, which, who was the best closer up until Cops that we had had in quite some time. You also had the Jake Rindles, the Barrett Lowskis. You just had a real – and also Evan Lee in there for a lefty you had a very, costy very shock, deep, yeah, yeah costy shock. It was very, very deep at that time. And I don't want to, I know that it's very common to compare those two teams, but 
especially with Paulette going down and Lockhart kind of being inconsistent. Now, I know that there was a lot of different opinions on whether he should have gotten pulled or not and then what happened with Costu. But, and then you also look at Costu and Caden Monk, guys that can come in and throw strikes. They can do really good things for you, but when they are off, they are really, really off. Also, you, you didn't have Zeb Vermillion there. So it kind of got to the point where – you were basically down to just Wiki, which he hasn't he hadn't been doing bad, but he he wasn't quite what he was in regular season SEC play over the last couple of outings. But it got to pretty much Wiki and Cops, and those were your guys that you could really only rely on. Do you think that we could have lasted to go all the way in Omaha with the pitching that we had at our disposal with injuries and all that stuff? No, and I, I say that emphatically because what the problem you run into is it's it's like we saw in the in the regional you win your first two games but then but you don't you're not facing the New Jersey Institute of Technology you'd be facing Stanford who beat Texas Tech 15 to 3 and 9 to nothing so you, you get by them then you face Arizona or Vanderbilt think about that okay and if you happen to lose that game you have to come back uh play somebody else uh, uh, and then beat them two more times with a depleted bullpen. Okay. So the, the thing is, I think this, this year's staff had better stuff, but 2018 had better consistency because they were a little bit older. Uh, they've been around the block a few times and they, they knew what they, they had, you know, Blaine Knight was a third round draft pick by the Orioles. Casey Murphy had been in the program for a while. And then you had Isaiah Campbell, who was an older, you know, red shirt freshman at the time. So you had those guys. And then you had Cronin who had really settled in his role. Rondell was the, the veteran that could go out of the bullpen, close it out, throw six innings if a starter got in trouble or, you know, whatever they needed to do. Then you had the setup man, Lowski, who would fire the glutes. It was just a really good staff. Right. They just did Van Horn and Coach Hobbs didn't have the guys that they really could depend on and say, okay, this situation is yours. Situation B is yours. And then if that doesn't work out, we got two other guys that we can go to. I think they had to go to cops way too early and, you know, cost you, like we said before, he was good for one, maybe two times. But the third time out of the dugout, he was, he was going to blow up. Yesterday, it was the second time. He got through an inning and a third and was pretty good. The reason he came in yesterday, I think, is because he had better swing and missed stuff. Lockhart is a pitch-to-contact pitcher. Outside of the Georgia game in the SEC tournament, he didn't strike out that many guys. So that's that was the thinking behind that. And then Wiggins is young. You got some other guys that just aren't proven in their roles. So while I think the upside and the projection for this staff is higher, they just weren't where they were right now as like the 2018 team was with their, with their consistency and their ability to go out and repeat that. You had, a, you had more Kevin cops in that situation where a 22, 23, 24 year old guy that can go out there and repeat his delivery, repeat his mechanics and not get in trouble. I got to put you on the spot here. We're up against a break here pretty soon, but as you are way too early starters, weekend starters for next year, who are some of the ones that you they come to mind as we as you think about it off the top of your head? Eston Toll, Jackson Wiggins, and Tyler Kitt's story. And is that in any particular order? Is that or is that Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or is that just random? 
No, no particular order. Okay. No, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking definitely Wiggins and Toll, and then kind of drawing a blank after that. But yeah, hey, I think if T, if T Cat is healthy, I think he has the stuff and the ability, and and I think he has the fortitude to go out there and compete in the SEC on the weekend. Then you got somebody like Nick Griffin if he comes back from surgery, and then Paulette too. It just depends on how quick those guys recover from their injuries that they can come out there and do it. But it's going to be a really good, young, exciting staff. Well, and we've made it. We've officially made it through an entire school year. Uh, and after not really being sure what football season was going to bring back in August, Kevin, you remember when we had? Uh, now I know this was Arkansas high school football, not collegiate. That yeah, or, Lance or, Taylor. Or, yeah, yeah. Or, or collegiate or, or high school athletics, I guess. Not really just football, not exclusive to that. But we didn't know what was going to happen, and then we ended up having the college football season. Made it through high school sports, and now we made it through an entire calendar year. And Kevin, definitely got to give you props for the amazing job on the base ball coverage this year not just the tweeting and the updates and all that but you know the the recruiting updates and all that and so it has been just a an incredible year we're gonna we're gonna try to figure out what we're gonna do in terms of stuff this summer we're gonna certainly kind of take a a little step back before we hit it running hard with football but we want to thank all you guys for for just tuning in for following us for supporting us for listening we know sometimes it's not always easy like this one. We've been very spoiled <laughs> this spring, and, and we've had so much success that, you know, you hated to see the way softball season ended, but you also hate to see the way that this ends too. And we thought that we were going to clinch that spot to Omaha, and it, and it just didn't happen. But just, uh, you know, very thankful to have made it through this year. And so really appreciate all the support from you guys, as always. We never want to never want to fall short of reminding you of that. But Make sure you stay here for segment two. Porter will be visiting with former Razorback All-American shortstop Braxton Burnside, who is coming off a historic season individually of her own, along with her counterparts on the Razorback softball team. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe, and Hit That Line Podcast Network. With American National, you get a dedicated agent who will help you make well-informed decisions about protecting your lifestyle. Call us today for a free review of your commercial, home, and auto policies, or to learn more about our customizable farm and ranch insurance. Let the Atkins Agency be your agency of choice. You can visit us on the web at theatkinsagency.com. Call us at 501-428-0877 or connect with us through Facebook. Go Hogs! Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479-368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. Tackle your to-do list without breaking your back or getting your hands dirty by calling Heinemann Services. Located in Northwest Arkansas, Heinemann Services is your premier company to get those projects done that you've been putting off. Whether small remodels, lawn care, carpentry, and much more, they take care of you in a timely manner with exceptional customer service. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. Welcome back to episode 198 of the Hog Talk podcast. And now we go to the Workman's Travel Center hotline. We bring in All-American, All-SCC, part of the Bogle Bombers. We're going to have Braxton Burnside on. How's it going, Braxton? 
It's going great. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it, it's, I've been wanting to get you on for a while. You know, I know we had to wait a little bit after the season, but first of all, congratulations on a year. I know it didn't turn out the way y'all wanted to, but I think with, you know, your success and everything that happened with this season, uh, the, the standing ovation after the Arizona game, I think that said enough to what y'all did this season. Yes, it absolutely did. I think just the entire season in general was just so fun. Um, it was incredible to see our growth. It was incredible to see just this, the growth in Arkansas softball and the program in itself. And I think, you know, what brings me so much peace is obviously we wanted to get one step further, but at the same time, um, we put Arkansas softball on the map and this program is on the rise and they're going to do even greater things next year and the years to come. And for me, you know, that's really all I set out to do. I want to see the program represent the state of Arkansas and I want everybody in the state and the surrounding areas to notice that. And I think that, you know, we were able to do that and kind of start it this year. And I just expect it to, you know, keep going in the years to come. And so that means the world to me to be able to be a part of that. And yeah, the standing ovation that you talked about at the end of the Arizona game was just incredible. It's was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And, you know, it kind of went both ways. We couldn't have done it without the fans, you know, and then the fans just loved seeing our success. And so both go hand in hand. And I think that that moment right there at the end of that last game was amazing. So let's start at the start of the season. You know, last year, we all know how that ended. And what, what was your motivation, team, you, team as a whole, coming into this season? I mean, what made y'all really start clicking so early in the season? I think part of it is um, just the gratitude and the appreciation that we had, the, we had for the game, given that last year was taken away so quick. Um, I think a lot of times you can take it for granted, and I think we kind of got caught in that trap. And then last year happened, and we were like, okay, like we don't need to do that anymore. This game can be taken at a split second, and we really just need to go out here and enjoy it for what it is. And I know that sounds really cliche, but when something like that happens, it challenges your perspective. You know, and that's exactly what happened to us. We're like, wow, okay, we need to come out here and enjoy it because it's going to go and it can be gone, you know, in the snap of a finger. And that's what happened last year. And so I think this year we just challenged our perspective. We enjoyed every single moment. We enjoyed the grind. We enjoyed the process. You know, and we enjoyed getting better with each other. We're ultra competitive. Every single one of us on the softball team are ultra competitive. And a lot of our practice are geared around competitions. And so every single day we're competing um, against each other. We're competing for our spots. We're competing for a spot in the lineup, you know, whatever it is. And so I think that's what made us really, really good. We became really close competing against each other, but it also made us better and made our uh, level of competition rise. And so I think that's kind of what um, raised our, our level and um, we were able to achieve just the highs that we've ever achieved this year. And I think a big part of that is just the competition that we give ourselves and we put ourselves in day in and day out. And you started off with SEC, you know, 12 and 0. I mean, when did things really click for the team where y'all knew, okay, we have a chance not just to succeed to, but to be special? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we knew even last year because we have, you know, a really, really similar team that we had last year coming into this year, given the COVID year and the seniors all but one coming back. Um, and so I think we knew we had all the pieces 
it's just like you just said, it was a matter of getting all those pieces to fire on the same cylinder and to click at the same time. And I think, you know, last year we had something really special going, but this year we just heightened that a little bit more and all those cylinders were firing at the same time. And that's when we became really dangerous. Um, I think we were kind of getting into that into the preseason. Um, but as soon as SEC started, we had all the confidence in the world in ourselves, And I think it showed for whenever we started out 12 and 0 and it just kept going, you know, a lot of times you'll start off really hot and then you'll kind of dip down and you'll kind of hit a cold spot. But I feel like we just kept pushing and kept, you know, going and going and going all the way through the SEC season. And then it rewarded us with, you know, being co-champions. But I would say in preseason, we realized that we were a really, really special team if we were all clicking and I think we got to see a really good glimpse of that through the SEC season. And last year, you know, early in the season, you would play a team like Baylor or Florida State and just couldn't get over that hump. How much really getting that win against Baylor, against a top-notch team coming into Bogle Park, really kind of helped catapult you into the SEC season? Yeah, it for sure did. You know, the preseason, <clears throat> it's – you know, it doesn't really matter a whole lot, but those wins that you can get against the top ranked teams, it just gives you a lot of confidence going into your SEC season and your conference season. And so I think that went over Baylor. And I think also having a tough um, preseason, you know, we're playing all teams in the top 64, top 50 RPI. And so all those wins mean something, you know, when it comes down to the selection show at the end of the year whatever it is. And so having a tough preseason and really gearing us up for the SEC um, season, you know, it allows our confidence to boost a little bit. And, you know, if we lose, okay, we learn from it. But, you know, if we can win, then that's just an extra confidence booster going into the conference season. So I think those wins in the preseason against the high-ranked teams did a lot for us. So let's talk about the Bogle Bombers and, and when that started and just your your whole lineup as a whole, Lenny, you, McHugh, and Danielle, I mean, when did that really start catching fire for y'all? And what did that mean to you, you know, seeing little girls out in the outfield with the signs that says, hey, hit it here. And, knew, you know, you were coming close to the SEC record. When, when did all all kind of come together? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, we all have the ability, every single one of us in the lineup. Um, it was just a matter of all of us coming together at the same time. And we saw it a little bit in preseason how, um, you know, one person would be on a hot streak, but one person would kind of hit a slump. And then that person would get out of their slump and hit a hot streak. And then the other person would kind of go in its slump. But I would say after probably the third week in preseason, we all clicked. We were all on a hot streak together. Everybody was hitting. And that's really when the home run started piling in. I mean, I go back and think, and we broke our single season team record against Missouri State in a midweek. And that was midway through season. I mean, we demolished it. And so I think, you know, just right at the beginning of preseason, um, we kind of all hit our stride at the same time. And that's really what propelled us through the SEC season and it was just crazy to watch I mean it's almost you know indescribable um, and as far as the little girls go and the fans um, it was crazy you know it means the world to us 
to have them out there cheering us on while we're kind of inspiring them at the same time being on the field. And it was just a really, really cool atmosphere. And I would not trade our fans for the world. Um, I think we have the best fans in the country. They come out every weekend, every week and support us with everything they have. And playing in Mogul Park is really fun for us. And it's a hard place for opponents to play. And so that's what we kind of love about it. But yeah, the whole Bogle Bomber thing just really took off, I would say the third week of season and it never stopped, you know, it was, it was crazy. And that was kind of who we were as a team. And we thrived off that. And staying on the fans, you know, I remember I went to one of the games and it was like an 11 o'clock first pitch temps were in the forties. It was a really unusual cold. And I thought it was a lot that, and I know it was COVID restrictions on the capacity, but, you would go up to the window and it was sold out. I was waiting on my media pass. I was having to go to the outfield to cover the game and actually almost got hit by one of your home runs. <laughs> so, oh no. <laughs> it's one hop and me and a security guy was sitting there talking, but what does that mean in, in the sport? Cause I've talked to coach neighbors. I've talked to Jordan Weber. What does that mean in the sport women's sport that doesn't always get all the popularity that you're selling out games? You, you're coming in first of the season, there might be 500, then it grows to 600. And now at the end of the season, you've got 2,700 there every game. Mm -hmm. It means a lot. And, you know, I wasn't a part of the program any longer than just three years ago, but looking back to five years ago, it's crazy how far this program has come. You know, five years ago, an 11 a.m. star in 40 degree temperatures, there would have been nobody there. You know, but now coming into three years ago, my red shirt year, we were getting there. You know, we were kind of building up, stair stepping up to where we wanted to be. And now I think this year we finally um, we finally got there. And I expect the program only to go further these next few years. And it means the world does to have sellout games, you know, because at once that wasn't that wasn't a thing in softball and it wasn't a thing in women's sports. And I think women's sports are finally, you know, getting to where they need to be and getting the recognition that we deserve, you know, because it's an incredible sport and, you know, people, we deserve the recognition. And I think the big thing at Arkansas, I'll just talk about us specifically is us as players having that fan base and having those sellout games, we've, we've earned that, you know, we've earned that recognition. We've earned that support. We've earned the community that we have around Bogle. And, you know, I think that's a testament to what we've been able to do with the softball program and the success that we've had. And I know coach Doffel, you know, talks on that and harps on that, that we've earned that. And I think nobody deserves more credit than she does because she's started it and she's built it up from the ground. And so I think she deserves all the credit in the world, but you know, as far as us players go and us women on the field doing the gritty work, going through the process, the grind from the offseason to the season to the summer, whatever it might be, um, you know, we've earned that fan base. And it means the world to me that softball is getting the recognition that it deserves and just women's sports in, in general. You know, I think we're really on a rise and I don't expect it to um, stop or decline anytime soon. And I don't think people realize just how blessed they are to have the fan base because I've looked around at Alabama, OU, UCLA, the big time programs, you look at some of their box scores and they're getting six, seven, 800 people. And then you look at Bogle and they're selling out. They're trying to stuff people in the Bogle berm and all that. So that's a big point, a selling point to these kids coming in that, you know, when this season gets rolling, you're going to have at least a thousand people there. Yeah. 
Yeah, you are absolutely right. Um, I would not want to play in front of anyone else. Vogel fans are just Arkansas fans in general. You know, we have a lot of pride for <clears throat> Fayetteville and the University of Arkansas, just all fans in Arkansas do. And I think you're right. It's an incredible selling point. And, you know, one of the reasons that I love Arkansas sports and you also, you know, we're talking about women's sports, but you also look at the baseball team. I mean, they're the same way in, in you know, they're the number one ranked in ranked team in the nation and so I think that helps a little bit but you know just the fans they're so supportive and they want to see us have success and for us to have a regional and a super regional to host that for the first time um it just meant the world to us to have an absolutely packed stadium cheering us on giving us a standing ovation calling the hogs you know whatever it is we can always count on them for every single game to have our back and to be out there supporting us and for a home team that really means a lot and I want to move to the defensive side of the ball but first you know I've talked to coach Dyfel and what does it mean to you as a player that not only does the fans but you have Hunter Juracek other coaches you know, the, the guys coaches, the guys players that are really supporting you, not just because you're good, but they were there every single game supporting you in, in some way. And Musselman and Pittman were there. And of course, you know, just the importance of an AD like Hunter Yurchek, top to bottom. What does that mean to you have so much some support from all the other coaches? It's, it's incredible, and I think it speaks volumes to what um, the AD Hunter has done for our athletic department. Um, I truly think that the athletic department is just one big family community, and I think that shows that, you know, so many other coaches are going to support so many other um, um, sports and I think that that's a testament for what he's done and what he's, you know, kind of built within that athletic department. And then for us athletes, it means the world, you know, we have the support of other athletes. We have the support of other coaches. We have this for the support of our AD and our entire athletic department. Um, you know, I don't know that we could ask for anything else as student athletes. Um, I think it's a testament to the entire um, entire thing we have going on campus for athletes as far as um, the kind of educational opportunities we have, the kind of opportunities we have from our dining hall to our tutors to our computer labs, just to anything. Like our entire um, athletic department is incredible and they give us every opportunity to succeed and I think that's a huge testament to what Hunter, you know, has done for our athletic department. And that was one thing I noticed when I came to Arkansas, I was blown away by, you know, just everything that we were given and all the opportunities we had to succeed. You know, really, if you don't succeed, it's nobody's fault but your own because there are all the tools, you know, right there on campus for you to be successful on the field and off the field. And so I just, you know, I can't speak enough about the athletic department and, you know, just everything that they give us student athletes and how blessed we are to be at the University of Arkansas. So moving on to the defense, and I said before the season that I thought this was the most balanced team I've seen underneath Diefel. And Mary Half just really caught fire, you know, Autumn Storms. And, you know, Jenna Bloom really come on, too, is that third mm -hmm. option. And what really helped that, you coming up to the plate and knowing that your defense could really back up with the offense, if the offense was struggling, the defense was there to, to back y'all up. 
Yes, absolutely. And I think that kind of goes back to what I said earlier about firing on all cylinders. You know, it's not just offensively, but it's also defensively. And, you know, I think kind of, you know, the the offensive piece and the defensive piece goes hand in hand. And you just said it, you know, if our offense is having kind of an off day, our defense and our pitchers are right there to pick us up. You know, we might have to win a one to zero ball game or a two to one ball game if our offense isn't where it needs to be. And then on the other hand, you know, our defense are going to have off days. Our pitchers are going to have off days and we might give up five, six runs, but we've got to have the confidence that our um, offense can step right in and score one more than whatever, you know, we gave up. And that was kind of our mentality. I don't care if the score is 13 to 11. I don't care if the score is two to zero. We've got to find a way to be plus one on the offensive side. And so I think that's just a huge testament. And then being able to step out and play defense behind our pitchers this year was incredible. Um, They made our lives easy. And, you know, it meant a lot, especially to us on the offensive side, to have confidence that we were going to have a good pitching performance every single day. You know, that kind of gives you ease that the weight doesn't have to be on your shoulders. And same thing for the pitchers. The weight didn't have to be on their shoulders. It was very evenly distributed. And so I think that was a huge part of our success to have, you know, the incredible pitching staff that we had um, all the way up and all the way down, you know, day in and day out. We had somebody that we could put in there and get the job done. And I think that you're right. That's what made us so balanced and so good. So let's talk about Coach Dyfel and just what she's done for the program. Uh, I've never really seen her get flustered other than the Missouri series. You know, she's always cool, calm, collective. But she doesn't want to take any credit. She's she's very humble and always passes it on as staff of the year. Or she puts the credit to you. So what does that mean as a player that, one, your coach just sits there and trusts that y'all are going to get the job done. And, two, she's very humble and she doesn't want to take any of the credit. So if you could, you know, speak on what she's done for that program, what she's done for y'all's team this year. Yeah, well, I know that she doesn't take the credit, but she deserves every bit of it. She's built this program. You know, it's been at its lowest of low, and now we've seen it at its highest of high in just five or six years. I'm not sure, but she's incredible. You know, she's incredible on the field, but she's also incredible off the field. She's a mother. She's a sister. She's a daughter. And I think more than anything, that's what I've taken away from her is she's just an incredible human being and she's an incredible woman and she's been an inspiration to us all. And I think, you know, as a coach, that's what makes us want to run through a brick wall for her. You know, when you talk about the trust, the trust goes both ways. Of course, she trusts us, but we put every single bit of our trust in her. Um, And I think that's a huge part of what we've done. And I will also say that she does a great job of bonding our team, bonding our program, you know, all the way down from managers, all the way up to the head coach. We're all like one happy family and we all have so much trust in each other. And I think that chemistry has been a huge part of our success. Um, I can't speak enough about her, about her coaching abilities, just about her as a person. She's, she's just incredible. All facets. Um, she's an incredible person, an incredible woman, an incredible leader. Um, she does a great job with anything that she's given, um, whether it's adversity, you know, whether we're having all the success in the world, whether we are failing, whatever it is, she's just an incredible leader. She's always going to give us feedback on whatever it is. And um, I would not want to play for any other head coach. 
So I asked Coach Dyfel this at the end of the season. If somebody comes up to you five to ten years from now and they ask you about this team, what's the first thing that's going to come to mind? I'm going to say that we are ultra competitors. We were resilient all year. We love and we thrive being the underdog because I think we were the underdog all year. Even though our results might not have shown it, we were the underdog. Um, and we had a lot of fun. You know, we, um, we had and not only fun when we're winning. Of course, winning is fun, and that's what makes it fun. And it's easy to have fun when you're winning. Um, but we had fun in the grind, and we had fun in the process, and we had fun in the offseason when things were really, really hard. And we had fun even though we were in COVID restrictions all fall. We made the most of it. And I think that's what I love about this team. And the other thing that I love about this team also, and not all teams can say this, is we are a team full of great women, great human beings, um, high achievers. And I think that's what made our team so good is we all wanted to win so bad it hurt. And we're competitive in everything we do. But at the same time, we find a way to have fun with it. And so that's what I would say about this team. And I think that's why we had all the success that we had is everything that I just said. And it was just so much fun. And, um, you know, our success comes from our competitive, our resiliency, and, you know, just our will to go out there and do whatever it takes to be plus one at the end of the day. And we'll wrap it up with a couple more questions. And how cool is it going to be when you do come back? you come back to watch a game that you can always look out on that outfit wall and see that 2021 by the SEC champions. You know, everybody has successful years, but you can actually come back and you have something to show for it that you'll remember. Your team's going to be remembered forever. Yeah, I think it's awesome. And I just think it's, it's so cool. I know I'm going to be a super, super proud, happy um, alumni because you know, I know that me and my team really made a difference for this program. And that's what we set out to do at the very beginning and coming back and be able to see that those things on the outfield wall, being able to see our pictures and being able to see um, all the history that we made is going to be absolutely awesome. And, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to do it any other place or with any other teammates. And so Coming back in the next year, the next few years, um, it's going to be awesome, and it's going to bring back some really incredible memories. And finally, you know, message for the little girls that you said you once was out there, you know, in the outfield, and just just talk about if you could give a message to the young girls that are wanting to be like y'all and how y'all look up to in the softball community that Arkansas has become, what, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would just say um, reach for the stars and never quit dreaming. And I know everyone kind of says that, but I had a dream ever since I was probably 10 that I wanted to play college softball. You know, I couldn't wait until May and June came around and we got to watch um, softball on TV and the World Series because back then that's all that was, you know, really shown on TV. And I just could not wait to watch that. And it inspired me so much. And so I would say, you know, just go out there, live your dream, you know, all the practice that you can get with your dad, all the practice that you can get with your mom, do it. Do not take any of it for granted. Um, don't wish that time away. Practice with your dad as long as you can. Practice with your mom, practice with your grandparents, your aunt, your uncle, whatever it is. 
um, you know, really just practice with them as long as you can, because it goes by so fast and just be, you know, have a lot of dedication and determination to do what you want to do. And don't let anybody tell you you can't, because I promise, I promise, I promise it is, um, it is possible. And I promise that all the hours of practice will pay off because if it paid off for me, it can pay off for you. Um, so never lose sight of that and, you know, just keep doing what you love and keep making it fun. Well, Braxton, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on and, and good luck to you and in, in your next chapter in your life. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that will do it for episode 198 of the Hog Talk podcast. Again, we thank Braxton Burnside for coming on and we'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.